Welcome to the Live Free Real Estate Podcast, hosted by licensed realtors and investors, Jonathan Dempsey and Mike Eichler, where we teach you how to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing and other investing means by interviewing experts in the space and giving you real-life examples from regular everyday people on their journey to financial freedom. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Live Free Podcast, where we help you reach financial independence through real estate and other investing means. Today, joining us is our guest, Marco DiGabriel. JD, do you want to introduce our guest a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So Marco is uh, a buddy of mine now who I actually met at an open house before I was an agent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he was just getting started, and it's been really cool to watch how his career has kind of progressed and mine has gone um, in a different direction. And I'm really excited to bring him on. He's had a lot of success with not only his real estate career, building a brand, um, but also getting into some luxury new construction and development um, and taking on a bunch of investments of his own. So I think he's going to have a lot of great gems for everyone out there today. Um, and just he does stuff that's very different than what I do. And I'm excited for you guys to hear it from him. Welcome to the show, Marco. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, it's our pleasure. So. I'm going to hit you with a really tough question first. I, wa I wanted to start out with something to get, get everyone interested here. And I, I want to see what you think you're, you're most proud of accomplishing to this point. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it's a bit of a loaded question. It's a good question. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, just a little bit about me. I got into real estate about five years ago, um, pretty much right after college. And, um, you know, I, I think for me, um, one of the you know proudest moments I, I had came really early on after college. I was working at a startup and you know things weren't really going in the direction that I really wanted them to go. And um, you know, luckily at the time, um, I, I just graduated, I was living at home, so I pretty quickly after six months of being there decided to you know stop pursuing that avenue and i started studying for real estate um i moved to philly with a couple friends of mine at the time who were also kind of ready to get out of wilmington which is where we were all living and um you know i just i dove right in um i didn't really have a uh backup option i you know i didn't really um have a plan b i just kind of moved to the city and figured, you know, I, I had to start selling some properties if I was going to, you know, be able to continue paying my rent. Um, and it worked out. So, it, you know, that for me, um, early on coming from, you know, a situation where I wasn't really super empowered and I felt like I wasn't um, really being um, put in a position to succeed and just kind of understanding where I was at and making a change and, and quickly pivoting, you know, that, that allowed me to get into the real estate game a lot earlier than I was even anticipating myself. Um, it was always a long-term goal for me to be an investor and, and potentially, you know, a, an agent. Um, but, you know, kind of taking that leap early on really changed my trajectory and and he heavily allowed me to you know reach uh, some early success. So I think for me, just taking that chance um, as a young person out of college and not really um, looking back is is one of the things that I'm most uh, most proud of. 
Yeah, and it's definitely something to to be proud of. So when you you first get into real estate, I think a lot of people think it's a very easy job where you're just showing houses and then people sign sign the the check and it's it's done. Um, but for you, um, switching from the startup and having just the readiness to catapult yourself into something new and get started in Philly, um, it, it's been awesome to watch you just develop as one of the top agents in the market. Thank you. Since then, like it's it's crazy to hear. Now, were you always uh, a Philadelphia sports fan, or did that happen once you moved into the city? No, I, so I um, I was born in South Philadelphia. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, so about literally twenty minutes south of South Philly. So I mean, I, I probably grew up closer to the stadiums than some people who live in Maniunk. Um, so I've always been, you know, Philly sports fan. I was always around the city. I always had family here. Um, and I always knew I wanted to move to Philly after college. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was always, uh, who I was. So that choice was easy. That's, that's cool. That was easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the main reasons I wanted to see like what you're proud of and what you're doing is because you've, you're very humble and you've done so much already. And I'm really excited to get into the things that you, you are doing now. Um, but it's just cool to hear from your perspective, what, what's been important to you. Um, and before we like hop into any more background on you, I figured we'd get tease people with a little bit more about you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. <laughs> so what about in like today's market, like the things you're doing day to day, like, are there any things that you're just really excited about something you never thought you'd see yourself doing? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, so my trajectory has been pretty dynamic as far as um you know what i started off doing versus what i'm doing now so when i first moved to philly and i started off i was you know i was 23 um didn't have a ton of experience so i just really tried to immerse myself and i really ended up working um most heavily with like first-time home buyers like really the younger demographic um you know, people who could relate to me who were, you know, 25 to 30, you know, young professionals just out of college or, you know, starting their careers and were, you know, looking to buy their first home. So that's really where I started um, and how I got, you know, my business really up and running. And that was my niche for a while. And um, I always really wanted to be, you know, an investor. So I, I was always interested in the real estate investing side. And that's ultimately why I really started doing sales was to really learn about real estate, learn about the market, get fully immersed so that then, you know, I could take the the sales income and reinvest it. And um, so now, you know, my, my entire business is pretty much uh, done, you know, a complete 180 where I, I really um, I still will work with, you know, buyers and friends and family and things like that. But majority of what I'm doing is um, really working with investors, uh, doing a lot of new construction out sales for investor clients, um, you know, helping them to achieve the highest and best out sale for their development opportunities. And then also um, on the acquisition side, really, you know, running an acquisitions team that is out there hunting for deals for our investors and developers and, you know, bringing them value. So we're really trying to be, um, you know, in a position where we're excelling on both ends of the spectrum, we're helping you find the deal. And then we're also helping you all the way through the process of, 
you know, developing it and also all the way to the point where you're selling it or renting it. So that's really what my, my focus is now. Yeah. And it's really cool that you're able to take people all the way through from like finding the place to the exit, um, it is. renting or selling, um, refining. Like it's, it's great that you've, you've been able to build that whole process out. It's a lot like what you guys do, right? I mean, you, you know, you take these properties out in the Poconos and, you know, you see the potential in them and you help them all the way from acquiring them all the way to getting them up and running as a, an Airbnb investment property and cash flowing. So it's, it's, as you know, it's pretty gratifying to take them from, you know, the point of not even having, you know, the deal in hand all the way through that entire process and then seeing them, you know, win on it. So. Yeah, totally. There, there's a lot of similarities here. I mean, we're just going start to finish. Um, and I think another thing you touched on that I think I'd love to hear Mike's thoughts on are when you're a newer agent, you are mainly working with people who are new to real estate, whether they're looking to lease, buy their first home, yep. whatever it is. Uh, and I think as you progress as an agent and an investor yourself, that's when you start really attracting those investor style clients. Yeah. Um, kind of have to have some skin in the game, I think, uh, to really be able to know what you're talking about as if you're running it through your lens. Like, would you buy this? Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it totally helps when you have some deals under your belt and you can show that you have a little bit of experience in the game. Uh, other people are more likely to trust you and they're like, oh, like this guy knows what he's doing. This guy has done this. Um, you know, he has some experience, so he, he's probably the right guy to help me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's the toughest part really going into it is just trying to really get enough reps and experience under your belt to, you know, be a value, um, you know, and, and bring the, the, the value to the table for the client. So, I mean, yeah, starting off, it's really hard to help an investor, you know, invest their money if you've never done it yourself or you don't have experience helping other people to at least do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what kind of, what kind of deals do you have going on right now? Like what's, what's the latest thing you've helped an investor with? Um, so, you know, we're, we, right now we have one, um, we have, we have quite a few developments that are coming up. One exciting one that we have is, um, called the Ben it's, it's in a old city. It's going to be, um, condo building. Those are going to range from, you know, the low million dollar price point all the way up to probably about $3 million. Um, you know, we're, we're going to break ground on that pretty soon. Um, our developer is, and, you know, we're getting towards the point of being able to, um, to market those properties out there. Um, we have a few different developments in center city that are going on, which are like the three to $5 million price point. So there's one on Pine street. Um, there's one that's called Extrava on 24th street, right. Um, right off of the Schuylkill river. Those are like these huge, um, you know, 3,500 square foot, you know, four car parking, beautiful townhomes with like a six stop elevator. So, um, you know, those types of projects are always exciting just cause like the sheer scale of them. Um, and then, you know, we have other townhome projects in Fishtown, um, Northern Liberties. We have one coming up uh, called Wendell Place, which is like, you know, 1.1 million and up, you know, just a few blocks off of Second Street. So, you know, we have our hands in a lot of different projects right now. Um, and it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to see what's happening in these different markets and, and being able to, uh, you know, be a part of, of the sales process there. 
you're definitely gonna have to show us around some of these sometimes. Um, I'm super I would excited. Love to. I would love to see it. Um, but like, how do you go about finding these potential places where like these deals might work? How do you go about finding these deals? Yeah, like what what are you looking for? So like you you have these three to five million dollar condos. Um, like, what does that look like when you you first see it? Like, is it land? Is it an old building that you're taking down? Like, what do you look for? Yeah, so we look at all kinds of different um, parcels, you know, like that one was an older building, kind of like a warehouse type style building. Um, you know, we, we look at vacant land, we look at, you know, property that was already redeveloped in some cases, um, but wasn't redeveloped to its highest and best use. So really like where it starts for me is the zoning code, um, really having an understanding of the zoning code in the city and wherever you're investing and knowing what you can actually do by right on a parcel. Um, that's really, if you can understand that, then it's really, really becomes very simple to start identifying opportunities because you can take a certain parcel and be like, all right, well, there's a warehouse here, but you know, it's zoned for a 30 unit commercial mixed use building. Obviously a warehouse is not going to be most likely the highest and best use there on that land. So, you know, then you can start to understand, well, all right, what can I build here? How much is it going to cost for me to build that? Um, you know, what's the, the ROI going to look like if I paid that much to build, build it and also, you know, X amount to actually build, uh, buy the land. So you can start backing into those deals and it's just really understanding you know, what areas you want to be in and what the zoning code tells you that you can do in those areas. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something that many people struggle with and where your value is so important is you're able to, to identify these opportunities. And because you know the codes and everything building specification wise so well, you can really paint the vision for someone when they just see a warehouse. Yeah. Um, for yeah. us, usually it's, we see a house and people are like, I have no clue if this is going to do well on Airbnb, right. but we've seen so many of them and we have the spreadsheet that we go and play in. Whereas when I met with you the other day, I watched you whip out a spreadsheet that just answers like a million different things that I would never know where to start with. Um, and then there, there's the feasibility side of things where you're able to just make a phone call and have answers in a couple of days from an yeah. architect where I wouldn't even know where to get started. So um, it's super cool to see how simple that process is for you and how you can just pass that along to clients you have. Yeah. I mean, and same for you guys. Like when you came in with that Airbnb spreadsheet, I was like, yeah, I'd never seen anything like that because my, my pro forma looks so different um, because it's all, you know, based on either, you know, a resale of the property after development, or it's based on a long-term hold and like, I, I just feel like the um, there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of nuance and, and it's really cool to see like the value you guys bring as well on that end because, you know, that's that's not something a lot of people in Philadelphia have expertise on. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's good to sit down with you because I know I'm getting the real deal. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's just like a learning curve for for both of these things. Yep. You've, you've been in it for a while now and you're, you're doing it actively and just, you're going to be able to answer questions that a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people are afraid to try to explore, um, development. So it's really cool that you're, you're just pushing along and you're only going to get better and better. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it excites me. That's the main thing. Like I love, um, the process of, you know, 
identifying the deal, figuring out what you can do there, getting creative, helping them value engineer, you know, the property so that they're building it for the right price and they're going to get the right out sales and then helping them through that whole process. It's like, it's a lot of fun. It's creative, it's dynamic, and it's always interesting. Yeah. Um, when you're looking for these deals, is there a particular like return that you're looking for or any like specifications that you're looking for that you want to get out of this deal when you're looking for them? Well, I, it depends on the investor um, and it depends on what their type of, you know, investment strategy is. I mean, I would say like, typically if you're looking at a deal and, and you're, you can be all into the deal on the purchase and the construction and everything like that for about, you know, 70% of what it's going to be worth after all is said and done, you're sitting in a really good spot. That, that type of deal is like what people are really, really, um, looking for. Um, but you know, it depends. We have some investors who, you know, they want to pull all their money out of a deal after they refinance it. Um, and then we have other investors who are happy to leave half a million dollars into the deal. Um, because they just want to have their money, you know, into a safe investment vehicle that's going to cash flow. So it really just, um, you know, I, I, we have different pro formas that we run off and different metrics, but I would say it really is dependent on who we're finding the deal for. Sure. And one thing I've noticed just like trying to run some deals myself um, with a similar mindset is, so you have to add the purchase and the, the renovation costs or the development costs. Um, and try to get to that 70% mark. Um, but if you're trying to stay conservative on everything, right? Like usually when you budget for renovation or development, you want to be conservative. So you estimate it high. Then when you go to run the ARV or what do you think it's going to be worth when it's done, you probably go low. Um, yeah. Like how do you play with that balance? Because if you're running everything so conservatively, then like you might end up not being able to make a deal work for what its true value might be. And also it's hard to stay competitive when you do that. If someone else is just slightly less conservative, they might just beat you out on the offer when it was still a good deal. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think you'd have to have, you know, I, I would say the best investors we work with, they know their criteria very well and they don't deviate from it. And, um, you know, it, especially the way that the market was where, you know, everything was appreciating, you know, consistently year over year, very, very quickly in Philadelphia for, you know, the last four to five years, it was a lot easier to be aggressive and, you know, make aggressive purchases because you kind of had that safety net where the market was just so hot that, you know, it, it was a lot easier than it is now. Um, now I think you're starting to see the, the after effects of, you know, people not being conservative enough. Um, and it's going to hurt some people. I mean, I think there's definitely some people out there who probably bought properties a year and a half, two years ago that, you know, they thought were going to be, um, you know, good solid deals that right now they're not really seeing the return on that they were expecting um, just because the market is, you know, kind of, shifted. Um, but with that being said, I mean, you know, if you buy the deal, right, even if the market shifts, you should have, you know, a, a pretty good opportunity to still make money and make a return. Um, so I, I think you have to be conservative to a certain level, but also if you're too conservative on everything, 
you're just never going to have a chance. You do at the end of the day, any investment that you make has a risk associated with it. And you have to just know what your risk tolerance is. If you have extremely high, um, you know, risk tolerance and, and you're okay taking big risks, then, you know, you might be able to buy more deals, but you need to know that those deals might not all hit and you might lose money on some. Whereas if you're, you know, very low tolerance on the risk side and really are very conservative, you may be, you know, batting at a higher average on your deals, but rather than doing 10 a year, you might have to do one or two because those are the only one or two that are going to really fit your criteria. So I think it really has a lot to do with what your, you know, appetite is for risk and what your investment criteria is. Yeah. And that makes a ton of sense. So for you, like with navigating with clients, um, I would think that the people who are a little more risk tolerant might be a little easier to, you might just want to send them more deals. Um, like if you get a good deal, you, you send it to that guy. Cause you know, there's a very high chance he's going to bite if it's well past his criteria. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you keep it even? Like if you know, there's an investor that's only going to bite on the very best deal, um, but he's not going to give you the time otherwise, like, how do you navigate that? I think, you know, it's all about really relationships. Um, I mean, we don't like to send out deals that we, you know, think are like just not good deals. Um, we, we like to be a little bit selective and we, we try to, you know, underwrite the deals beforehand and get a general understanding of what they're going to look like and what can be done there so that we're giving people context and understanding of, you know, what our thought process is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously like there's some investors that we have very, very good relationships with. And those are the people that we're usually going to give, you know, first crack um, at a lot of the deals. But we also have, um, you know, we kind of have different buckets of investors. So there's some deals that I run and they work really well as a rental play, but not as a, you know, like new construction townhome play. So we're not going to bring that to a client who really likes to do new construction townhomes. We're going to bring that to a client who does a lot more on the like larger multi-unit building side, you know? So we have different buckets and different clients that we know generally what they're looking for, what, what their appetite is, what areas they like. And we kind of just try and gear the deals towards, you know, who we think is the best fit for it. You know, it's like kind of like matchmaking, you know, you get the deal and then you have a pool of investors that, you know, are, are out there with a certain criteria and you just try and kind of piece it together and see like who, who fits this deal best and, and who's, uh, you know, ready to take it down. Totally. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And we kind of do the same thing too, with our, with our Poconos market too. Um, we have like an email list where we'll send out like kind of, um, deals we find that will fit most of our, our investors. Um, we'll send that out to them. Um, we also find like sometimes there'll be like little like deals that might need a little bit of work. And then we have only certain people that want to do some work. Yeah. Um, whereas others might just want something that's turnkey and ready to go. Um, so we'll send that on the email list or if we find something that needs a little bit of work, we'll send that out individually to some of our people. So it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly the same way. You just got to match me. Yeah. That's, that's the name of the game. Um, so tell us about one of your investments. So the one that I'm working on right now, which is really my first bigger one is, um, it's a six unit 
building. Um, it's in the Temple area, a little bit south of Temple, um, Temple University in, in Philadelphia. And um, I'm working on it with a partner. We acquired it probably at this point. Oh, I guess we settled on it like um, beginning of this year, I think. And um, we worked on that deal for a while before we settled on it. So we had a zoning contingency. Um, it was an oversized lot that used to be a church and it was zoned for one single family property, but it was like this humongous lot that it would just make no sense to build a single family property on. So, um, you know, we got it at a really good basis, what we thought was a good price. And, um, there was room to try and take it through a zoning process to get a variance to build, you know, more density there, which we thought was reasonable because the other side of the block was all zoned for multi-unit. So, you know, if this same lot was literally on the other side of the block, by right, we could have done like six or seven units. So, you know, we, we kind of saw that. We talked to a zoning attorney, um, talked to our architects about what could be done there. And we put it under contract and we had a zoning contingency where we didn't have to settle on the property unless we, you know, actually got approvals for something that made sense. And that process, like, you know, we put that under contract just after COVID hit. Um, in like April of, I guess it would have been 20, was that 2020, I think. Um, and yeah, um, we worked on that for a long time and then it's finally got going through zoning. What is that process like? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> it is a very, very long and drawn out process. Um, and, and, you know, the timing for us with COVID and everything being remote just made it even more difficult, but um, it's a tough process. I mean, you have to really, you have to get out there, you have to get neighborhood support. Um, you have to, you know, we were knocking doors and, and really doing a lot of outreach and um, talking to community organizations and seeing what they wanted to see and really just trying to work with, you know, the whole community and the surrounding neighbors to make sure that when it came time to, uh, to, you know, go to the meeting that we were going to have support. And, you know, it took us, uh, I think two, two or three shots, um, at, you know, going in front of the community until we really got it right. We started, I think with, um, asking for like an eight unit and then, you know, we ended up at six, which is kind of where we thought we would end up. Um, but, you know, we made we made some different concessions and things like that that um, ultimately got it done. But it's a very long process. It's very drawn out, can be a little bit contentious, but it's, um, you know, it was a great learning experience. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of value in having things that can be done by right. Uh... There's so much. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because now so many people just want to look at buy right projects because of how difficult the zoning process has become um but with that being said like you know adding that element of being able to rezone a property and add units like that is that adds a ton of equity and a ton of value to the property so that's really like 
what we were able to do, luckily. Um, and it, it, again, like we talk about risk, that was a big risk. Like we put up during that due diligence period of, of pretty significant amount of money to hire a zoning attorney and get plans done by the architects and, you know, all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, if we wouldn't have got it approved, that money would have just been lost and it's just a risk you take. So luckily that risk, you know, panned out and, and played out in the right way for us, but it, it very, um, just as likely could have not, you know, um, and, and we were determined to get it done. So we really were working hard, but, um, you know, it came down to like just the last few days before getting it approved. Like we, it, we could have very easily not gotten approvals. Yeah. And so with the zoning contingency, is there like a certain timeline you had to get an answer by, or they were kind of just cool with you waiting <laughs> had an answer yeah luckily they were very flexible um they didn't have any true timeline that they really needed to sell by so for us um they kind of gave us you know as long as we needed typically um you know we used to be able to do like a six month contingency now it's tough to get it done in that timeline so typically it's it could be a nine month to a year long process on the zoning side if you're going to do a zoning contingency that's so wild i think it's so cool that you can create value that way though like you are, you really are getting paid in equity to to go through that whole process yeah yeah you definitely have the risk like you said between the architect and the zoning attorney um it's just so different from what we're used to where you saw offering like 30-day closes and everything will be you'll you'll be renting day 31 then yeah. I mean that, and that's the, uh, yeah, it's the other side of the coin. Like, you know, everyone, every investor and every developer has a different value that they bring to the table. So there's some people who just have, you know, the experience and connections to get things through zoning and those people are, you know, very open to taking down deals that need rezoning and adding units and, and, you know, getting value that way. And then, you know, there's other investors who they would never touch a project that needs to be rezoned, but maybe they have an in-house, you know, GC company where they can build everything for, you know, 10 to 15% less than another developer who's hiring an outside GC. That's their competitive advantage. So like, you got to kind of find your niche and like what, what field you're playing in and then just play that game. Totally. Yeah. If you can keep construction costs lower then going by right makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, and I know some de developers who do that and they're just, they just fly through projects. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, when are you going to start doing that? Uh, bringing in an in-house GC. Yeah. We'll see. I got to scale up a, a bit more before I, I go into all that <laughs> right now. We're just trying to get a few under the belt and, um, you know, get things going, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, down the road, that's definitely something that um, I would consider at some point when I start doing a lot more scale and volume. I mean, at some point it becomes um, something that makes a ton of sense. Like if, you know, if you're doing five or six or seven different projects a year and you're paying a general contractor on each one 30 to 50 grand or whatever it might be, at that point, it makes a ton of sense to start bringing some of those trades in-house and um 
you know, saving on what you would be paying on that GC fee. But, you know, at the same time, then you're sacrificing some time and you have more overhead and there's risk involved there too. So some people like just hiring the outside GC because they don't have any overhead and they don't have risk if they don't have any projects that are going on at a particular time. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to have that fixed cost per deal. Yep. Exactly. It's just like with hiring anything else out. Yep. Pretty cool. So what did you purchase your uh, six unit for or the original one giant unit that you turned into six? <laughs> uh, the, we purchased it for 140. 140,000. Yep. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then what did it take to get it through zoning? Like how much was the attorney and the plans? Our soft costs all in, I think we're about, um, I want to say roughly like $80,000 um, when all was said and done. Okay. So you're in at 220 and then you got the approval and you needed to actually start the development. What is that looking like? Um, so it, it, it's looking good. I mean, you know, the, again, like what I, kind of mentioned earlier about buying a deal, right? Like luckily we bought that at a really good price. So it, it, after construction costs went up very, very significantly, the deal still penciled out. Um, and you know, when we first bought it, we thought it was going to be like an absolute home run. Now I would say it's probably like a single or a double, but we're like still very happy with that. Um, it's still a good solid deal. So, um, you know, with that being said, it's uh, it's going well. We broke ground and we poured foundations, and now I think we're framed up about halfway. And the construction has moved pretty quickly so far. And um, you know, construction costs are starting to come down a little bit, so we're catching a little bit of a good time, um, which is nice. So yeah, everything's going in the right direction. Did you think it was going to be more so a home run because of um, the potential for eight units instead of six? Um, no, I think, well, that, you know, anytime you can add units and maximize the unit count for the most part, like, obviously that would have been, um, you know, preferable, but at the same time with how much build costs went up, it actually kind of worked out that we didn't go that route. Cause like we would have had to add probably, you know, another story and a lot of extra square footage. And that would have increased our costs. Like very significantly and it might not have even really penciled as well as what we're doing now which is a little bit of a you know smaller more concise and like boutique build with without a basement it's slab on grade it's three stories so we really like again we kind of value engineered it and like we looked at some different options and we decided to eliminate the basement to like save that square footage and and the cost associated with like digging and underpinning and, you know, adding finished square footage below grade and then potentially, you know, dealing with water issues and things like that. So we just eliminated that and it put us in a position where the deal made a lot more sense than it did before when we were, you know, spending way more to build. So we just got creative with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when we were originally purchasing the land we thought that it was going to cost about 160 a foot to build and you know now people building buildings like this are much closer to 180 190 even 200 depending on the level of finish and things like that so the price per square foot just went up significantly and that obviously is going to eat into you know some some return on investment but 
still a solid deal and, and we're, we're happy to see it getting out of the ground. Yeah. So where are you guys at with it now? It's, um, it's like halfway up as far as like framing. So I think we're at like the second story. They just started framing like about a week ago. So by the end of the week, they said we should be pretty much all the way up. That's awesome. So yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, it's moving. That's it. You just got to yeah. keep it moving at this point. Yeah. So what, is your, what is your exit strategy? So <clears throat> we have a couple different exit strategies that are, um, you know, we're still kind of figuring out what we want to do there. Um, the good thing is we do have options. So, you know, one option is to stabilize it um, and then, you know, pretty much just hold it long term um, and and continue to let it appreciate and cash flow and, you know, have it be like a, a just a solid cash flowing building. And then um, another thought is stabilizing it and, you know, than just selling it to a, an investor who's looking for a turnkey six unit brand new construction building. You know, there's a, there's definitely a market for that right now. Um, there's a lot of money that we've seen from LA, New York, people who want to diversify into real estate, but they want it to be very, very turnkey and manageable and hands off. And, um, you know, those, those are the kinds of buildings that, they really look for in a market like Philadelphia, where the return is a lot higher than what they would see in New York or California. And, um, you know, they're looking to put their money to work. And, um, so that's, that's another thought that we have is just stabilizing and then just selling it to an investor and, you know, taking our profits on it. Makes sense. I'm assuming you're just going to look at it when you get down the line. Yeah. I think when it's built and when we see, you know, what rents we have and what the cash flow looks like and what our options are to pull out money versus, you know, selling it. I think that's where we'll make a decision and it'll depend on what the market's kind of doing at that time as well. Yeah. What is, what is your outlook on the current market? I mean, overall, I think, um, you know, we, we had a lot of um, years in a row that were, very hot markets. They were not very balanced. It was very, very seller. Um, you know, like sellers had all the power. So it was really a little bit tough as a buyer. Um, and you know, rates were very low. So that was the advantage you had as a buyer was that, you know, you could get your financing for very cheap and that created a lot of uh, competition. I think, you know, ultimately, what's happening and what we're seeing is, you know, the prices of real estate went up so high, so fast, just like a lot of other things have gone up and, um, you know, the government and the fed are addressing it now and they, uh, they want to artificially bring the price down. Um, and they, they want the prices to reflect a more manageable entry point. And the only way to really do that is, to raise rates um, extremely high because other, otherwise, you know, inventory was low and um, demand was high. And, and, you know, that was their tool to be able to, uh, you know, change that. So. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's going to start to even back out then. I think it's going to even back out. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for buyers as well, who are looking to, you know, get something at a, a better price than they could have and 
be in a less competitive market. Um, it'll definitely benefit anyone who is a cash buyer who, you know, has dry powder and these prices are going to, you know, level out and probably continue to come down. And, you know, at that point, people who are ready to buy and ready to, you know, um, put their money to work and, and get deals under contract, there will be deals out there. So it's, you know, just like anything else, there's always an opportunity and you just, you know, it's your responsibility to figure out what the opportunity is in any given market. You know, people make money in every market. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed too, is it's not that the, any market is worse or better than another. It just depends on your strategy. Like cash yep. buyers are definitely seeing the benefits now that yep. there's a little more pressure to lower price. Whereas before, I think the opportunity was for just anyone who needed financing, like the rates were so low, you could, you could pay almost anything and the, the numbers kind of penciled out on things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's going to be an adjustment, you know, there's, I think, you know, we've seen things slow down pretty significantly, pretty quickly, just because of the sticker shock, you know, like not even really a year ago, we were seeing rates in the threes and, you know, shortly before that they were in the high twos. So when you go from that to 7%, you know, the, the change in your buying power is so significant and people are still adjusting to that and sellers are still adjusting to that as well. And um, it's going to be a period, I think, that we continue to have to just navigate. Yeah, I mean, definitely is. And one thing that I've noticed is that I think strategies like mortgage assumption and sub two may be like the only way to get through this market. Like That's huge. That's I was huge. playing around with it like recently. Um, and I thought it was just kind of like an out there concept. I was talking to one investor who might buy something off me. Uh, but then I realized like just talking to a couple other agents today, like they're marketing deals as sub two, like they they don't have this house for sale. They have this place sub two now. Yep. Um, yeah. Just to try to make, make it a win-win for everyone. I know I was talking to my team about, the same exact thing. And I was just telling them like, you know, start, um, start having your sellers send you their loan docs so you can see whether that mortgage is assumable and you know, what your options are, because that can be such a huge value add. And that can, that can be the difference between getting, you know, a deal done and, and not because, you know, if someone can assume that mortgage at a low interest rate, it might make all the sense in the world, but if they have to buy it at a, seven and a half percent interest rate, they might not even be willing to look at it. So I think that's going to be something that we're going to see a lot of um, coming up. And, you know, the people who really understand how to like create opportunities with that are going to, you know, be successful. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to yeah. be complicated, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think there's always something to do selling, right? I'm about to be selling two-year-old mortgages now instead of houses, but I'm in. <laughs> If the numbers make sense, I mean, right. Me too. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. It just makes a lot more sense. I mean, it's a lot easier for people to afford that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I think there's a lot of deals to be done that way, especially right now. Yep. Yep. I think so. Yeah. I was looking at, so I have a place in the Poconos that I'm going to end up selling and I got the rate like pretty low. So I looked at it. If I sell it for, um, 540 at the current rate it's the same as if someone bought it on market right now for like 415 yeah which is just it's like a so it's like a hundred thousand huge swing in purchase power and equity and everything so it's it's crazy 
yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with those. Um, so as far as like managing your projects, um, how do you find someone to help you develop it? Because you're, you're not the one swinging the hammer, I would assume. No, I'm not. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've just hired contractors that I've trusted. Um, Where did you find them? Like you just... Well, for me, I mean, my, my network being that I sell a lot of new construction development, I'm pretty well connected to a lot of different general contractors, um, you know, just because I sell a lot of the product for these guys. So like the, you know, what the people who are building um, my six unit are uh, Zados uh, investments and they are one of our biggest developer clients and we sell a lot of the new construction that they put out on the market. So, you know, for me, that relationship made a lot of sense just because like, I trust those guys, obviously we have a great working relationship and I know the quality of their construction very well. So I felt very comfortable with them building it. But I think, you know, for, um, for those who maybe don't have like a very, large network of contractors you just really have to get out there and meet people and like i would meet i would meet with different developers who are hiring general contractors and see like you know who they're using and who they recommend and like who's worked well for them who hasn't like you know a lot of these circles of developers you know they they talk and they trade subcontractors and gcs and they help each other out so i think the more people that you get out there and meet who are doing the same thing that you're doing or who are doing it at a higher level than you are, you know, they'll be willing to share network, um, you know, like people in their network and referrals and things like that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the best way to do it. Really cool. Um, yeah. suggestion. Um, do you sort of have a specific routine that you follow for each project or is there kind of just like everything's a little different every time? Well, I mean, so, everything's a little different. Like, you know, this house that I built here, um, you know, was very different because I, I was managing it like a lot closer than I am the six unit, you know? So like this one, I was much more heavily involved with like, you know, coordinating with the subcontractors and, and, you know, doing all that stuff. The other one is much more hands-off where they're handling everything. They're just sending us updates and, you know, they let us know when we need to do certain things like pick finishes or give them direction on the field. But other than that, it's like very hands off. So I think, you know, for my biggest like learning lesson just from going through some of these development projects is like having things lined up before they need to happen is so important because that's where you really lose time. And that's where you, um, ultimately lose money because you're just paying more interest on a loan that is continuing to, you know, accumulate from the construction side. So like, you know, rather than waiting to be framed to start getting the person who's going to be doing the insulation and the drywall or whatever, you know, through the door, having those things lined up beforehand and ready to go so that once you're at that point, they're ready to be deployed. That's like very, very important. Um, and I think for me, like, that's the biggest thing is just making sure that those things are lined up. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so do you have like a big team that, that works with you? Like how many team members do you have? Yeah. So our team, the, the Jim Roche team um, is about 30, I think there's 35 of us with about 20, 
eight or 29 real estate agents. And then my, my little sub team of like development agents who really focus on the acquisitions and the new construction, there are, I think, uh, six or seven of us. So it's a little bit of a smaller group there. Um, but yeah, it's a big team. I mean, it's great. We get to share resources, knowledge, um, you know, it's, it's, a really a collaborative culture where everyone's helping each other to, you know, push forward and grow. So it's, it's nice to have that level of support, especially coming from, you know, originally being kind of a solo agent where I was just running my own show and didn't really have any, you know, teammates or coworkers to rely on. It's, it's a lot different. Yeah. You can definitely run faster and farther with a team. Definitely. Um, the Definitely. collaborative nature, like the sharing of resources, all of those things just really push you to the next level. And I'm sure like there's a balance of leads too. like with as many of you guys just making a name for yourselves as possible. Like sometimes you may have someone that just might not be a great fit for you that reached out that you can pass to someone else and vice versa. So it's, it's really cool 100%. to see that work yeah. out. Um, the cons of being on a team though, is usually there are more splits. Um, so it's just a matter of if it outweighs uh, the benefits, which Everyone I talk to loves being on a team. Um, the benefits super outweigh the cons in it. I think it's a more friendly work environment. Um, yeah, I think, you know, every team has a different culture. Um, and our, luckily, we've built a really, really great culture within our team. It's, you know, everyone works really hard, but plays really hard. We have, you know, a lot of fun together and it doesn't really feel like work, which is you know, that's, that's all you can really ask for, but you know, it's also about the value that you can provide as a team. Um, and, you know, really justifying the splits that you're asking for from the agents, you know, I mean, a lot, there, there are some teams out there that, you know, justify high splits, but maybe aren't delivering as much value, but, you know, if, if you're on a team and, and they're delivering value, it's a no brainer. You know, it's, it is like one of the best things I think that you could really do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed with teams too, is like different agents have different specialties, um, in the sense that like, for, at least for like on our side, uh, I have a team of four agents and some of us are better at like running the numbers and projections than others. Some of us are much better at actually finding the houses that are going to work for short-term rental. Yeah. So I think in like a vacuum, if we were all solo agents, we, none of us might even sell a house. <laughs> Right. We can't do, we can't do it all. Um, whereas if one person is finding all the places, another person is like generating all the leads and another person is running all the numbers. And then we're like double checking it and whatnot. But like when there are multiple people working on what needs to be an entire process succinctly, it just goes so much smoother and everyone can start closing things. Um, yeah. I mean, totally agreed. I think, you know, that's a big reason why our team works so well is because like people are willing to, take a smaller piece of a bigger pie and really like understand that everyone is contributing a different thing to the deal. Um, and you know, if we can all do more together, it's ultimately good for everyone. So like, that's kind of how we run. And, um, I think, yeah, uh, you know, you can only be great at so many things. So like what some people on my team are great at, I, I am not, you know, but then I can piece certain things together for them to help them move things forward. So I totally agree. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, I, I love just seeing what you guys are up to. It's, it's incredible to watch. 
Um, we're getting close to the end of the show here, so I think mice cannot dive into uh, our end segment. Yeah, so we got a little bit of end segment here. It's called the Live Free Three. It's three questions we ask every guest, um, and they're sort of just like personal questions a little bit. Um, the first one's going to be, what's your favorite investing book or podcast and why? Okay. Um, my favorite investing book is probably um, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, which was written by Gary Keller. Um, he also has The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, but you know, those books are really like kind of manuals more so than just like light reading. Um, it really gives you like a full kind of comprehensive system um, and method of investing. So I think for me, like that was one of the the first books that I really like um, read and, and kind of like gave me a, a roadmap. But I think like my number one investing book of all time, which is like what even got me here was like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is probably an answer you get all the time. But like, it, it that is the book that set me on this course. And I know it like completely changed my understanding of like the world. And I, I read it in like eighth grade. So it was very impactful because like that young, it, I was still like very malleable and I could um, like when I understood it I went much more towards like the entrepreneurial kind of path than a lot of other people and um yeah that book is the best so if you haven't read that that's like definitely the one I think oh yeah yeah once reading that book you started to see like there's another side of things and there's there's a whole nother option than just the, the regular route most people go yeah um but all right. So number two is your biggest goal this year. And why is it important to you? Um, I mean, my biggest goal this year was really just like getting this house finished up. This house was like one of my first like major renovations. And, um, you know, it was definitely a very daunting task. And, it, you know, it was I, I was moving from my old place to this new one. So, um, you know, it, it took a while, it took like about a year to renovate this place and um a lot of time went into it and honestly like it's just like one thing I really had to do because now I'm like I feel it's like it's so important to really have a place that you enjoy living in and like just have a good solid place to come back to and and you know work from and it's just great for your quality of life and your mental state so for me just getting this house done was like the number one thing um and then, I mean, on the business side, like really just um, like just diving in deep with like my development agents and like helping them to continue to grow their businesses and, and, you know, get things up and running. Cause like our team has expanded really quickly. We have like a lot of young agents and a lot of big goals and we've, we've really ramped things up. So just continuing to move in the right direction and expand in the right direction on that side is, has been a, a big focus this year. Super cool. Yeah. It's great that you were able to get so much accomplished this year and help some other people do some cool stuff too. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Oh yeah. hundred um, percent. What kinds of people are you looking to connect with? I, I mean, I, again, I'm an open book. So I, I obviously anyone who is looking to invest in Philadelphia, um, anyone who's investing in other areas and you know just wants to collaborate like obviously i love talking to you guys and like what you're doing in the poconos is like totally outside of my realm but i love hearing about it i'm very interested in it so 
you know, really just anyone who is, um, you know, looking to move in the right direction and collaborate with positive people who are, you know, growth oriented and, and, you know, the entrepreneurial, I mean, that's really it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So to all of uh, our cash buyers out there and people who hit me up, who are cool with the five to 6% cap rate in Philly, or just anything around that and don't have interest in short-term rentals, um, Marco is going to be your guy. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have a lot of deals out there and again, especially right now with, you know, how things are, um, you know, changing in the market, there's a lot of fear out there. And anytime there's a lot of fear out there, there's also a lot of opportunity. So I think right now we're really entering a, a time where there's going to be deals out there that are, are going to be great for some people. So yeah, if you're, if you have cash ready to deploy, I think, you know, we're getting to the point where it's the time. So. Yeah. Let's, let's see what you guys can do with it. But um, yeah, Marco, I get a, lot, a decent number of people who hit me up who just want something like safe, just like new construction yeah. rented out. Um, cash well, send them my way, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I don't even want to try to convert them to short term because <laughs> you, you know, the investor profile who just want to park their money a little safer. They're, they're yeah. not interested in the, the short term. Totally, totally different person. Totally you'll, be different person. you'll be the guy. All right. It's my turn um, for some final words. So what is a piece of advice that you would give to a new entrepreneur who's getting into the space? Um, I think, you know, if, if I could go back and just like, you know, think about what I did really like getting your personal routine in order and being locked in and focused, like understanding why you're actually doing what you're doing. Why are you get like, you know, a lot of people just make decisions without understanding why they're doing it, but like really having that understanding and clear focus on what is my end goal? Why am I doing this? And is what I'm doing every single day moving me, at least one step in the right direction towards that end goal and just keeping that in mind. Um, and typically the way you do that is through having some sort of like routine where you're, you know, in the morning kind of like understanding those things consistently. So that's what I would say is like always start with the end in mind and like make sure that what you're doing right now is actually putting you on the right path to get to that end goal. Totally. And I, I noticed you brought that up when I met with you maybe like a couple of years ago. I was asking you about your routine. Um, and it is so critical to kind of time block for things that are pushing you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I definitely catch myself sometimes doing like 20 things a day. And then I go back and I like, before I get overwhelmed by it, I think how many of these things do I actually need to do that are going to put me to my goals? Or are these just on my list to be busy with something? It happens to everyone. I mean, it happens to me. By no means am I some you know perfect uh routine morning machine or anything like that i mean we all get off on you know our schedules at some points and you go through ebbs and flows but the more that you can stay consistent with that and understanding that the better yeah and i think what what challenges me is i get caught up in being pulled in different directions and i've definitely gotten better at that but i i could see as like someone like yourself who adds a lot of value to situations it's very easy that you're like your phone blows up a lot more than it used to it does what yeah. do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough to balance, but, you know, ultimately I try and give a, a ton of value, but also you do know, you have to know sometimes when to say no and when to protect your own time. That's important to you. And um, I think that was something that early in my career, I did a pretty good job at was like, not just 
working with any client just because and like really like respecting my own personal time and not just like working myself to death um you know 24 7 and like taking the time i needed to like actually focus because the time that you're really thinking big and bigger picture even though sometimes it doesn't seem like the most productive thing you could be doing it's some of the most productive time that you have because it really focuses everything else and moves everything else in the right direction totally totally i like to think of working hard as just like sprinting in a direction yeah time to think is like looking just checking to make sure you're going the right way exactly yeah, you, you might running. be sprinting in, in literally the wrong direction <laughs> totally well we appreciate you having having you on um how can people get in touch with you like how do you want people to reach out to you after this yeah so um you can connect with me on Instagram. Um, I'm at MarcoD123. Um, you can also get in touch with me on my email, which is Marco at lifeonbroad.com. And um, yeah, I mean, that, those are pretty much the two best ways to get in contact with me there. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and talking to us for a little bit. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. We got to catch up more. Yeah, totally. It was great catching up with you. I can't wait to see your six week unit when it's done. And then all of those luxury condos and apartments. Yes. <laughs> we'll have to do a little like tour someday. I can show you through everything that we got going on. Yeah, we're, we're going to have awesome. a tour party. All um, right. That sounds good to me, fellas. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Marco. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.